Thanks so much, worship team. Kids up through fifth grade are dismissed to go to your classrooms. Uh, shout out to the uh, parents of new kindergartners who are dealing with uh, behavior issues in the service during worship. No reason I say that at all, but just uh, feel ya. So uh, anyways, all of you, please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Psalms. We're going to be in Psalm 16 this morning. Psalm 16. Uh, we have two more weeks in the Psalms, uh, so our grand finale of the Psalms is going to be uh, on Church on the Farm in two weeks after this week, and then uh, starting in September, we are going to be beginning a 14-week series uh, that might turn into a 28-week series, but we're aiming for 14 weeks on the book of Daniel is where we're going to go after this, so I'm really excited. I've not really done an in-depth study on the whole book of Daniel before, and so I'm excited to kind of learn along with uh, all of us what God has for us in that book, and so that's where we're going, um, but we are in Psalm 16 this morning, uh, so please bow your heads with me after you've turned there, and we will pray, and then we will jump right in. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, um, we praise you uh, for who you are. We thank you that there is no other foundation for which we can build our lives that you've given us in Christ, the firm foundation. We praise you for that. We thank you that we can sing about that this morning. Thank you for all these things that we've already talked about this morning, discipleship and missions and the things that you call us to do and the things you call us to be all about as followers of Jesus. Um, yeah, we all fall short in that, Lord, so I just pray, um, God, that you would, uh, by your grace, allow us to grow. And um, we pray that you would uh, do that this morning as we look to Psalm 16, your word. We ask that you do a mighty work in our hearts. Just guard my heart as I preach, God, and guard, guard my words, and uh, just by your spirit, may you speak to each one of us uh, through the preaching of your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I want to uh, start by thanking uh, Pastor Craig for preaching last week on Psalm 42, and that idea of lament, really appreciated that, and um, if you want to learn more about lament, I want to recommend the book Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy by Mark Rogup. We actually read that in the Rock Prairie Book Club, which we did kind of right towards the beginning of COVID a couple years ago, and uh, just a really good book on the topic of lament. But anyways, in his sermon, Pastor Craig made a joke about how I sometimes preach 10-point sermons, and I, uh, you know, at the end, of the, when I got up, I said, I don't preach 10-point sermons, you know, maybe a 9-point sermon, but not a 10-point sermon. Well, lo and behold, this week, just by pure coincidence, I have 10 points for us from Psalm 16. I'm not joking, uh, and it was not because of what Craig said. It's just what happened in the text. That's how it unfolded, and so um, that's what we're going to do. So uh, 10 points on Psalm 16 this morning. So to make it easier for you, I'm just going to give you the main point up front. And that way, if you just want to head on out after I give you the main point, I won't take any offense to that. Just kidding. You're not allowed to leave until the end of the sermon. Uh, but I'm going to give you the main point here right up front as, before we dive into Psalm 16. And this is what the main point of the sermon is, this is what the main point of the psalm is, which is that God in Christ has promised us some amazing things. God has promised us protection, provision, goodness, counsel, and joy all fully in himself. That's what this psalm teaches us, that God in Christ has promised us protection, provision, goodness, counsel, wise counsel, and joy fully in and of himself. 
It's really a fantastic psalm. It's an encouraging psalm. It's a psalm that should really drive us deeper into our relationship with God. And yet here's the problem that as I see it, as it relates to the main point, which is that we constantly seek lesser protection, provision, goodness, counsel, and joy by thinking we can find these things elsewhere other than in God himself. God has promised us all these things fully in himself, and yet we look elsewhere for these things, specifically when it comes to walking through trial. Now, there are plenty of reasons why you might be walking through a trial. James teaches us in chapter 1 that we should consider our trials joy because they are perfecting our faith, right? So there are often times that we walk through trial. But I'm going to argue this morning that sometimes the trials and hardships and difficulties that we walk through in life, we make them harder on ourselves when in the middle of them we seek out protection, provision, goodness, counsel, and joy in other places. Does that make sense? So I'm not saying that as you look to God, you're never going to experience difficulty. Like if you can just sometimes have a, somehow have a perfect relationship with God, that you're never going to have to walk through anything difficult. In fact, God's Word tells us the exact opposite. God's Word promises that we will have trials. But I am saying that we sometimes, and really I mean me, I, off, I can be the first offender here, we make those trials worse when we think that the answer to those trials is found outside of God himself. That's what I believe is the heart of this psalm. So we're going to go verse by verse here, and we're going to see that this morning. So look with me in verse 1 of Psalm 16. We're going to see that God is your protector. God is your protector. He says this, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. In other words, he's saying, because I'm coming to you for refuge, I'm asking that you would preserve me. Now, it's helpful to remember what David's uh, first job was uh, before he uh, became king and uh, moved on to other things. What, did, what was David's first job? Somebody say it. He's a shepherd. That's exactly right. What does a shepherd do? Shepherd keeps watch over sheep. Shepherd shepherds, thank you, Andy, she, which means he keeps watch over see, his sheep. He protects them. He feeds them. He takes care of them. He uh, shows them at the 4-H fair and then sells them to market. No, just kidding. That's not the exact kind of shepherd we're talking about. We're talking about a shepherd that keeps watch over his sheep. And David's saying to God, protect me, essentially, because I'm one of your sheep. God, I need you to protect me because I'm one of your sheep. Because I take refuge in you, you oh, I need you to protect me. And so for us, the message is simple, which is to take refuge in him. Take refuge in him. Find your refuge in the one who has already promised to protect you. Church, this is not always easy to do. We're almost conditioned as Americans to refuse any help until we're like absolutely desperate, right? Like, oh, I don't need any help. Oh, I can figure it out on my own. Like, that's like, that's a virtue in our culture. Not needing to ask for help is considered a virtue. Being a self-made person. We talked a couple, a couple weeks ago, right, that some people's favorite Bible verse is God helps those who help themselves, which the only problem is that it's not in the Bible, right? So that is, um, so, but yet at the same time, we struggle with this. But God doesn't want you to just help yourself. He wants you to come to him. I want you to hear that this morning 
church. God wants you to come to him. Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Very present help in trouble. It is so tempting to seek protection in the things that we can control, right? We're a culture that's just obsessed with that. Like we can need to be able to control everything that goes on in front of us. We want to seek protection in those things that we can lay out in front of us. And yet God himself is our protection and he calls us to find our refuge in him. So because God is your protector, we need to take refuge in him. That's what we see in verse 1. We're going to see a lot more in this psalm here. Let's look, keep going here. Second, in this psalm, we see that God is your only source of goodness. God is your only source of goodness. Look at verse 2. It says this, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. All right, let's see how well you remember this. This is from the very beginning of our series in the Psalms. What does it mean when we see the word LORD, L-O-R-D, in all caps? What does that mean? It's what? The, yes, Paulette, yes. It's, yes, it's his name, right? It's the name of God. It's Yahweh, Right? Very good, Paula. Thank you. Not many people have the guts to raise their hand in church and answer a question. Paulette, great word. Yeah, <laughs> fantastic. It means the name of God. And, yet, and when it's in capital L with lowercase letters, that's talking about Lord like my king or my master, right? So he's saying, once again, he's saying, I'm say to you, Yahweh, God of the universe, you are my personal king. Now, it's amazing in this psalm, we see the I, me, or my 24 times. This is an intensely personal psalm. This is a psalm that you can go to when you're really struggling about what does it mean to have a personal relationship with the Lord. That's what's so unique about our faith, that our relationship with God is not something that is with a distant being. It is intensely personal. God wants to know you personally. And this psalm is a very personal psalm. So David says, I myself am saying to you, God, that you are my Lord. Now, Christianity is certainly worked itself out corporately. It's not something that you can just, it's not private, okay? You can't just say, oh, my faith is just only about me and it has nothing to do with anyone else. It's not private, but it is very personal. So David says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. And then he says, I have no good apart from you. So I want you to personalize that now. And ask yourself, do I believe that? If I prayed that to the Lord right now, God, I have no good apart from you, do I really believe that? What does it mean? It means that every single good thing that you have comes from God. And then on the flip side, it means if God says something isn't good then there is no true joy or lasting pleasure that can come from it, as tempting as it may seem. When we think that good can come outside of God and his commands, that's when we get ourselves in a world of trouble. And this is what sin is, right? It doesn't mean that, that these things don't like temporarily feel good for a moment. In fact, if they didn't, people wouldn't do them, right? 
Does it feel good to yell out or cuss somebody out when they, uh, when they cut you off in traffic? Sure it does. Does sexual sin feel good for a time? Of course. Does it feel good to just say, I'm just not going to think about my problems. I'm just going to go home and get drunk and high at the end of the day and just not have to think about anything? Of course, if for a moment, it can. Does it feel good to take advantage of someone or get revenge when somebody who's wronged you, then all of a sudden you can finally get back at them? Does that feel good? For a moment, it does. Or to like to get on somebody's good side by gossiping about someone else. And you're, like, you're like, I really know exactly what they're going to say. And they're going to like me. And they're going to really think less of that person. Like, yeah, these things can feel good for a moment. Let me ask a question. Did the fruit taste good to Eve? It did for a moment. Right? She didn't just spit it out. Adam took and ate it too right after. So he saw that she was enjoying it. This is exactly what happened in the garden. The serpent told Eve that God was wrong. You see that? The serpent told Eve that God was withholding some good from them. God said that that's not good, but in, in fact is very good, is what the serpent told Eve. And what happened? Verse 6, so the woman in Genesis chapter 3, the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. She didn't trust that God was the only source of goodness. And when we sin, church, when we sin, we do the exact same thing. When we look at something that God says was wrong, but decide that it's good for us, here's what we're telling God. There's some good things about you, God, but it's not enough. In fact, it's telling God, God, I think you're actually, you don't have my best interest at heart because you're withholding that from me, that thing that I deserve, that thing that I need, that thing that is going to fix all my problems, yet you're withholding that from me. You must not, in fact, be a good God or a good father, and these are lies from the enemy. And so if God is the only source of goodness, we need to then be careful that we don't seek out these lesser gods, these lesser things. Verse 3, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. And verse 4, the sorrows of those who run after another god, lowercase g, shall multiply. But their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. So when David writes this, he's talking about people who are literally going after and worshiping another god, like a false god. And there are still billions of people in the world, billions with a B, who do the same, right? So those of you who went to the Engage Global trip this year or the Guatemala trip, we all saw people who were literally bowing down to man-made statues in worship. And that's something that takes place every day, even right here in Indiana. And so what David says is that the sorrows or troubles of those who chase after false gods will multiply. They will increase exponentially. But just because we don't worship false gods, gods doesn't mean that we don't chase after false gods, if that makes sense. So we need to certainly go and tell the good news to people who are bowing down to idols, but we also need to check the idols in our own heart, right? 
because we are certainly tempted to believe that there is goodness to be found outside of God himself. Don't believe that lie. David says, I'm not even going to touch it. I'm not going to pour out their drink offerings of blood. I'm not even going to speak their names. Like, I'm not even going to go there, David says. I'm not going to go there. So what do we do when we're tempted to believe that? Because certainly there's nobody in this room who was not tempted this week or even this very day to believe that something that God said was not good is in fact good. There's not a single person in this room who did not, but then not only be, was tempted to believe that, but then commit the sin by engaging in the act of whatever the enemy said was not good. It was good that God said was not good. So what do we do? Like, what's our process, church? I think there's just three things. They all start with R. First, recognize the lie. Right? Recognize that the enemy is lying to you just like he lied to Eve in the garden. Recognize that although he's good, at, he's like the king of sweet talk, right? But he's trying to kill you and destroy you and destroy everything good in your life. So recognize the lie. And then secondly, report it. Like when you're in like the middle of that temptation, just report that lie to God, right? God, I am tempted to believe right now that I can find goodness apart from you. Help me, God. I need your goodness right now. This is a, a place where brothers and sisters in Christ are so beneficial. You can report it to God in prayer and then to call out to brothers and sisters in Christ. I am in the middle of temptation right now and I need help. I'm tempted to believe this lie. Remind me of what is true. So we recognize it. We recognize that it's a lie from the enemy. Report it. Pray. Ask others who can keep you accountable to pray for you. And then finally, if you fell into that lie, if you did take of the fruit and eat it, then repent. Repent, which simply means tell God that you messed up. Ask him to help you in the future. Ask him to help you rest in his abundant grace and abundant mercy, which doesn't drive us back to sin, but drives us further into him. Amen? So recognize it, report it, and if you both took the fruit and ate, you repent and ask God to strengthen you. And know his goodness and his mercy that it just pours out like water and refreshes the soul. And praise God for that. God is the only source of goodness. So may we not seek and chase after lesser gods. Next, we see in this psalm that God is your perfect provider. Your perfect provider. Verse 5. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I love this. It goes hand in hand with what we just said. Not only is God the only source of goodness, but he is an abundant source of goodness in that he provides abundantly and perfectly for his children. David is using a metaphor here that goes back to when Joshua divided the land between the 12 tribes after they conquered Canaan. So the, the land is then divided and each tribe is given their own portion and their own lot. When he talks about the lines, he's talking about literally the boundary lines. He's saying this is your land, this is the land that God has provided. But there was one tribe that didn't get an inheritance of land. It was a tribe that was to be the priest, which was the tribe of Levi. So the Lord says to the Levites in Numbers 18, 20, you shall have no inheritance in their land, neither shall you have any portion among them, which sounds at first like a punishment, right? Like, what do you mean? They all get the inheritance and I don't. What's up with that, God? 
Well, their inheritance was much better. He goes on. He says, I am your portion and your inheritance among the people of Israel. Okay. Well, what's better? Some land or God himself? I would ask you, church, to ask yourself, what is better? When we're tempted to grumble and complain that maybe God hasn't provided materially or physically or in any other way for us like he has for other people, what's better? Some land (laughs) or fill in the blank here or God himself? If you're in Christ, Christ himself is your portion. Christ himself is your inheritance. Christ himself is your provider. He is the one who gives you everything you need. And he is the one who is all that you need in himself. And if that's the case, then we need to be content in what he gives you. Be content in what he gives you. Be satisfied. Be happy with the way that he chooses to provide for you. Our troubles are multiplied, church when we think the answer is found outside of what God has provided for you. And is it not so easy to grumble and complain about what we don't have? Now, there's absolutely nothing wrong with asking God to provide something that you don't have. In fact, we're told to do that, and God loves to provide. He loves to give good gifts to his children. He delights in it. So we should certainly ask, but we need to be prepared for the answer to be no. And here's really where the rubber meets the road, because that can be really hard. You don't always see the answer or the reason why the answer would be no, especially if you're just asking for a really good thing. And so here's the challenge, church. When God's answer is no to whatever, are you going to be content in him as your portion? Or are you going to complain? Are you going to be grateful for all that he's given you? Or are you going to be a grumbler? Are you going to be able to see his blessing or are you going to develop bitterness? The true challenge of a walk with God is to be content in all circumstances like the Apostle Paul says. And this is not easy. You know, you give an opportunity to raise your hand again if you think it's easy to be content in all circumstances, but I don't think any hands will go up. This is not easy. But when you can approach God in this way, it brings such glory to him and say, God, I really want this. This is a good thing. God, you know my heart. You know my desires. Before I even ask it, you call me to ask. And so I'm asking for this thing, God. But God, even if the answer is no, I'm going to be content in you. I'm going to trust that you know better than I do. And even if you take away every single earthly blessing that I have because of Christ, I will be able to say, until my dying breath, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance because of Christ. That kind of contentment is not easy, but it's what we're called to as followers of Jesus. So don't seek fulfillment in the things that you wish you had that can never satisfy like Christ can. Be content in what he gives you. Well, next, as we move on, we see that God is your constant companion. Verse 7, it says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I like a better translation of this is even at night. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. He gives me counsel even at night when my thoughts trouble me. I like that. What he's saying is pretty simple. God is always there. I bless the Lord. I bless Yahweh as my counselor 
God himself is the one who guides me. Even in the darkest times in my mind, even when I wake up in the middle of the night with fearful thoughts or accusatory thoughts running through my head, God himself is there. Be encouraged in that church. Even in like the depth of grief, when you don't know how you're going to take another step, God himself is there. Verse 8, I set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. I shall not be shaken. Again, church, this is an incredible truth, but I think we can miss it. I think we often can seek worldly counsel before godly wisdom. I think we can forget that God is always with us and we can believe the lie that we're on our own. The enemy wants you to forget that God himself is your constant companion. So we need to remember to look to him first. Look to him first. If God is always there, if he's all-knowing and all-powerful, if he's the source of all wisdom, then don't seek anything less elsewhere. Look to him first. If you have perfectly good tap water running out of the faucets of your home and you get hospitalized because you're dehydrated, like that's a you problem, right? That, like that, one, that one's on you. If you have God's word at your disposal, the power of the Holy Spirit within you, and you're a member of a local church, and yet you don't know where to turn to for help, again, that's probably a, a you problem. Now, I'm not being flippant. There's really hard situations that we're all called to face when the right thing to do isn't obvious, okay? So I'm not saying that, oh yeah, if you just remember God, then you just will never wonder about what to do, and you know, all your problems will be fixed, you come to church, you don't have to worry. That's not even close to what I'm saying. There are certainly times where we don't know what step God is calling us to take. I've run into those counseling people on a weekly basis. I feel like, I don't know, this is too big for me. Let's cry out to God and ask him for wisdom. Just like James tells us, remember that. If any of you lacks wisdom, what should we do? Let him ask God, who gives generously without reproach. God is always with you. You will not be shaken. Praise the Lord. Let us look to our perfect counselor and constant companion first before anything else. So finally, in this passage, we see it just kind of keeps getting better and better. We see that God is your source of eternal joy. Your source of eternal joy. Verse 9 it says, Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I love that. In your presence is what? Fullness of joy. Fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You see in verse 9, he says, therefore my heart is glad. Meaning because God is my protector, because God is the only source of goodness, my perfect provider, my constant companion, because God is all those things to me, that is why my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. David has just walked through every fear that you can have in life, right? The fear of not being protected or provided for. The fear of being alone, and God says, he says that God himself is the one who takes care of all these things for me. Praise God, that's true of every single one of you if you are in Christ. God is so much greater than you can imagine. 
And if he is your source of eternal joy, then you need to hope in him. Hope in him. First Peter 1 says, set your hope fully on the grace to be given to you when Jesus Christ is revealed, when Jesus Christ comes back. That's where our hope needs to be, church. Jesus is coming back. We're called to hope fully in him. On Thursday night, we had a small group of Rama's supporters go out to uh, Shay's house, and we prayed, had a time of prayer for her as she prepares to go. And as we were sitting there praying, I was just kind of struck by this thought of how foolish it would be for her to do what she's doing, and Lord willing, others after her from her, our church, and others that we've supported as a church throughout the years going into the uh, mission field, how foolish it would be for her to do that if Jesus hadn't raised from the dead, right? If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then what she's doing and others who do the same makes no sense. And it makes no sense for someone to spend all this time raising support, raising thousands of dollars of support, and then selling all their things and going to a totally different country, learning a totally different language in a totally different country, uh, culture, spending years and years getting to know people so that you can then tell them the story about this historical figure that died 2,000 years ago, right? It doesn't make any sense. It's just information for them to have. That's why Paul says, if Christ hasn't been raised, we are the people the most to be pitied. But, if that historical guy from 2,000 years ago actually was the son of God, if he died and then raised again from the dead three days later, if he bore the sin of the world and took upon himself the wrath of God that was due to all of us, if he made a way for every single one of his children to be saved and live in eternity with him, and if that same historical figure from 2,000 years ago was coming back at any moment, then there's no other response that makes sense than to say, God, take my life and do whatever you want to do with it so I can tell more people about your son. And if Jesus has been raised, and in him we now find fullness of joy, then how foolish is it, church, for us to look elsewhere for satisfaction? And yet don't we do that on like a minute-to-minute basis? Oh, I feel like the Apostle Paul in Romans 7. Like the things that I don't want to do, I do. Or the things I want to do, I don't want to do. We've got this flesh that we battle with. And it's hard. And God is always chiseling and shaping us. But praise God, he promises to sanctify us. God himself is going to sanctify you. He's going to make you more holy. He's doing it right now. Literally right now. As you hear this. God is making you and me more holy. We all need it. Praise God. Man, if you just, I just struggled with this passage this week because I just sensed in myself so often I just want to look elsewhere for the satisfaction that God promises me in Christ. So praise God for his grace. Praise God for the promise we see in Romans 8, right after Romans 7. It says, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So church, hope in his glory fully. And find yourself delighting in the Lord because at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Amen?
Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, help us. We need it. We so desperately need you to shape us, shape the desires of our heart, Lord. Give us a longing for you, a longing to be close to you every day when we wake up. And every day when our head hits the pillow at the end of the day, God, give us a longing, a desire to be close to you. And we know, Lord, there are battles in this life every day. There is hardship and difficulty that each one of us walks through every day. And yet you are with us. You are a constant companion. You are nearer to us than even the person sitting next to us in this room right now. You are here. So, God, may we look to you for our protection, for our provision, for goodness, for comfort, for wisdom, and for fullness of joy that you promise us forevermore, God. And may the nations truly be glad as they hear the good news. The world that walks in darkness will see a great light. There is no other message that's worth going to the ends of the earth to give. There's no other message that is worth us working so hard to make Jesus known from our neighbors to the nations than the good news that is the gospel. So drive it deep in us, God, and deep in our hearts so that we can go out into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Right here in Tipton and to the ends of the earth, we thank you, God. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.